morning church we're in the book of philippians if you want to open your bibles to philippians chapter 3 that is where we will be today and some of the language in philippians is about sharing in the gospel paul affirms the church like we share in the gospel together and sharing in the gospel in the book of philippians was about how people pray for each other it's also how we financially support efforts that we are a part of so this morning we are participating in what it means to share the gospel with those we are connected with uh, throughout the world october this is the last sunday in october october is breast cancer awareness month so let me do this just real quick if you were willing just to show a show of hands of those of you who have had people close to you relatives or friends who have suffered from breast cancer just a show of hands all right hands down and let me invite you if you're willing how many of you have lost someone close to you to breast cancer a show of hands and now one more time if i one more ask one more invite if i could have those who are breast cancer survivors, or you are in the process of surviving, will you stand, not just show a hand, will you stand where you are? And can we thank God for His miraculous work in their lives? If you're a first-time guest, or maybe this is your second or third time here, what I want for you and what I have prayed the last few days for you isn't that you will enjoy Sycamore View so much that you will come back next week, even though I hope you do. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you come back next week. I hope you go to the guest luncheon today. I hope you go home and have one of the best naps of your life because we loved you so well and we fed you so well. That you can go home and tell friends, it wasn't a sermon that put me to sleep, but they loved me so well and they fed me so well, I went to sleep. I hope you do come back. But what I want for you more than anything, it's not that you enjoy what you experienced today so much you come back next week, but is that you have some kind of encounter with God today, a practical, tangible, meaningful encounter for your life. And for all of you here, whether you're a first-time guest or you've been coming to this church for decades, the bar you need to hold me to, like the standard you need to hold your preacher to, and if you're somewhere else today or you're connected with other churches, is that you want a preacher who stands in front of you, not as somebody who has charisma and they like to be in front of a crowd, or they, even, they know the Bible well and they know how to unpack it, or it's not about charisma or passion, but you need somebody standing up delivering the Word of God who is committed to dwelling in the presence of God. That's the standard you need to hold me to. And I have loved being in this passage that I get to preach today and the hope it has given me, and I hope today the hope it will give you. And I know we do spiritual exercises in here sometimes. We stand up, we sit down, we stand up, we sit down. But I'm going to ask you for the reading of the Word today. If you will stand where you are throughout the Bible, you have a lot of examples of the people of God hearing the Word of God as it is being read. And Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21 says this. Not that I have already obtained all this, And this is right after Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, participating in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. So he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Repeat after me, I press on. I press on on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and this may be a verse some of you need in your life this week, forgetting what is behind straining toward what is ahead. I press on to the goal, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Literally, it's the phrase, be of the same mind. This is what you have at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. So be of the same mind. And that too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to, or in some of your versions, it will have to hold fast. Or in some of your versions, it's a word used for walk that what we have already obtained. 
Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Verse 20 and 21 says this, But our citizenship exists in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies or our bodies of humiliation so that they will be like His glorious body. And for the reading of the Word this morning, the church said, Amen. And sit down. And I want to keep this up on the screen just for a moment. I want you to look at that phrase in verse 21. That the power of the resurrection of Jesus does this. It transforms our lowly bodies or our bodies of humiliation or other language Paul uses in places like Romans 8. Bodies that will decay. And Jesus, through his resurrection, is going to transform them into a glorious body. Now I'm going to talk this morning about the impact I think Paul wanted this to have on people's lives. I'm going to talk about the impact I want it to have on your life. But just for a moment, I want you to think about those who have gone before you and what this means for them. For those that we have loved who have gone before us. Because most people who die, most people in our lives who, who, who have died, who have gone before us, at their death, right before they breathe their last breath, they were not at their best physically. Their bodies had deteriorated. They had declined in life. There had been mental decline. They were not at their best. And the promise that Paul gives you is that these lowly bodies, these bodies that will decay, the power of the resurrection of Jesus is going to do something to those bodies to bring them back to life, and Jesus is going to give them a glorious body. So for those who you know who had health decline and mental decline in their life, and they passed away, think about what this means for them. A glorious body that will be given to those that at the end of their life, their organs were failing, and it was, a hard, for, it was hard for them to walk. Jesus is going to give them a glorious body in which death will never be able to touch them again. So sometimes people ask me, especially after they've lost loved ones in their lives, sometimes they ask me in, at visitations or funerals or sitting in the living room or, or through text messages and emails, I'll say, Preacher Josh, what do you think happens when people die? And here's my response. I'm not really sure because the Bible's not super clear about it. So when people die... Do they immediately enter into the presence of Christ? Because you have some of those places. Paul even talks about it, that when you die, I'd rather die so I can just be with Christ. Die and be with Christ. So when people die, do they immediately, are they transported into the presence of Jesus? We love that thought, right? We love the thought of when our loved ones pass or when we pass, we immediately enter into the presence of Christ. And eternity, in what God plans for it to be, begins in their life then. Or when we die, do we enter into a state of peaceful rest or restful bliss in which we enter into that state until Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ will rise? Because you have those places in the Bible too. And when people die, are they able to watch over us in any kind of way, which the Bible doesn't talk about, but if that is a connection that you have with God and a thought in your mind of the peace it gives you to think that those who have gone before you are able to watch over you, I'm not going to take that away from you just because the Bible doesn't talk about it. I would encourage you to think about this, though. If those who have gone before us are able to watch over us today like a cloud of witnesses, I just want you to think about what they are cheering for. And they're not cheering for a stock market 
or for your life to be more peaceful here on earth, what they're cheering for is for you to know Christ better because they have now seen the bigger picture of what God has done and what God will do. And what they are cheering for is for you to walk with Christ and to love Christ and maybe pointing out in your life those close to you every day of your life to share Christ with. So I don't know exactly what happens the moment people die, but I know this. I know the moment that people die who are in Christ, death can't touch them anymore. Satan can't touch them. Satan can't have an impact on them. Cancer can't get into them. There's no more chronic pain. There's no more arthritis. So whether they immediately enter into the presence of Christ or there is this peaceful rest they enter into until Jesus comes back, Satan cannot touch them anymore. They are fully protected by the hand of God. So even though I can't tell you exactly what happens when people die, I do have strong convictions about what heaven is going to be like. So I want to walk you through this just for a moment, a few passages in Scripture and what it means for Philippians chapter 3. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is read at a lot of funerals, verses 13 through 18 says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, like those who have gone before us, so that you do not grieve as others do who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's will, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, uh, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Not therefore confuse one another with these, with these words, but Paul thought whatever he was saying was going to be so clear that this could be a way for us to encourage each other. So let me tell you, okay, just watch my hands if you're able to see me. Here's what happens in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Jesus comes down, the dead in Christ rise first, then those who are still alive meet the Lord in the air, and that's where Paul's image ends. So what happens after they meet each other in the air? Is that where heaven becomes like some cloud in the sky and we become soul-only, spirit-only beings and heaven is like a, a, an eternal sing-along in the sky, which for some of you, you're like, that would be awesome. Four-part harmony for life. And some of you are like, that would be great as long as I'm in charge of the music and we sing the songs I want to sing. And some of you are thinking, if heaven is an eternal sing-along in the sky, is there an option two for heaven, right? Like, do we get a vote on this? And, and when it comes to what heaven's going to be like, I don't think this becomes some eternal sing-along in the sky. And I don't think what 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about is that we meet Jesus in the air and then we float away somewhere else. I think what happens is we meet Jesus in the air and then Jesus ushers us back down to earth where God will restore this world, which was his original intent. God will take back every way Satan has tried to demolish God's good creation. I think this is part of what Jesus meant when Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Here's how I want you to pray. is God, for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. 
I remember doing a series back in 2013 on the book of Revelation in which I talked a lot about the new heavens and the new earth. I ended up writing a book with a friend called Bringing Heaven to Earth where I tried to process a lot of these ideas and, and some of this theology of, of God establishing His reign here. Here's what Revelation says. The first two chapters in the Bible, it's perfect. God created a world and God said it's good. And the last two chapters of the Bible is a return to perfection. And here's what Revelation 21 verse 1 through 5 teaches. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea, which was a Jewish way of saying chaos. There's no longer any chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Not just around the throne, but a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older order of things has passed away." He who, is, who he, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The image you get at the very end of the Bible is heaven coming down to earth and God making the claim, I am coming to dwell among them. I am coming to live among them and to make all things new. And then it's like the, the voice from the throne says, and hurry and write this down before you forget it. Like, jot this down because you may not trust your memory or the vision that you have seen. Write it down so people can see it. So what does this tell you about God? One thing it says is that God is not going to let Satan win anything. That how Satan has destroyed the good earth God created, God's going to restore it. What it says about the earth is it is redeemable. And what it says about people is that there will be a glorious body in which Jesus will redeem and the glorious body isn't just resuscitation. It's not that we die, Jesus breathes on us, and then we come back to life just like we had died, now we come back to life. It is, it's, it's a transformation into a glorious body. Revelation chapter 8, or Romans chapter 8 says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and there are two graves that I have returned to multiple times. And in those gra at those graves, 1 Corinthians 15 is what I read. One is in the garden tomb in Jerusalem. Now, it's not where Jesus was laid because the joke in Israel is we don't know exactly what tomb he was put in because he wasn't there long enough for us to memorialize it. But when we go to the garden tomb, I've been there twice. I've preached 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a chapter that Paul gives attention to the power of the resurrection. And usually around once a year, I visit my sister's grave and the one chapter in the Bible I take with me is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to read and recite and be reminded of the power of the resurrection. And here's what it says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and, he, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying, at that point, then the saying 
uh, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory, and where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So if God chooses to bring Jesus back to earth, send Jesus back to earth, and redeem this earth, or, or bring heaven into being in a way unlike what I have just shared with you, I'm not going to argue with God about it. But Paul talks about glorious body and transformation, not just in a way to get you excited about what will happen, but to impact how we live now. And even places in the Bible that talk about when people die and maybe you enter directly into the presence of Christ or when you die, you enter into, enter into a restful bliss or peaceful bliss. Either way, usually the phrase that is used is that this is a day that will be called the day of the Lord. It's not going to be called your day or your glorious day. It's going to be called the glorious day of the Lord. When Jesus sets something wrong, right. So, verse 20 and 21, let me point out a few things to you. The literal phrase isn't just that our citizenship or our true citizenship is in heaven. It's the word exists. It is that it exists in heaven. And this is a present tense word. Meaning that this isn't something you wait for until you die and then you receive heaven status or heaven citizenship. It is that this is something that is granted to those who have stepped into life with Jesus. You have become a citizen. We exist as citizens. This would have been a good word for Paul to speak to people who were holding on to the things of this world and were forgetting about there being eternal consequences and an eternal bliss. They were so attached to things in this world, which can be a good word for some of us too. Sometimes we cling to things in this world way too tightly and we need to be reminded there is a light, there's life after this. And it's a good reminder for those who may have been coming to church and sitting on their, their rears and crossing their fingers and waiting until Jesus coming back to be reminded that we exist as citizens of the kingdom now. Like there's work to be done. There are things to do. There's, there's a commission that Jesus has given us. And there's this phrase that eagerly await, that we eagerly await for this to happen. We don't wait for things we've already received. We eagerly await. And then the idea of transformation. Today, physical transformation has become a multi-billion dollar business in which a lot of times advertisements want to tell us, you probably don't like who you are, right? So if you don't like who you are and you want to be a better you, I'm like, here's a pill to take, here's a shake you need to drink, here's what you don't need to eat or what you need to eat or how to exercise and things to do with your body. And, and some of that can be really, really good. But the kind of transformation talked about in Philippians chapter 3 isn't something you can buy and it's not something you can earn and it's not something you can work for. It is Christ who transforms our body from a body of humiliation or a lowly body into a glorious body. It's his work. One way somebody describes like the best way maybe for you to think about Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 is through a bifocal life, like thinking about a bifocal life. How many bifocal life people, bifocal glasses people we got in the room? Some of you may be like already graduated from that. I'm now a trifocal, right? But the whole idea of bifocal <clears throat> is that the top part of the lens corrects your vision, your distant vision, and then the bottom part of that is helpful for people like my guy Jim Hinkle when he does family news, right? right? It's to help you read better, see something that is near. 
So a bifocal life, thinking about your spiritual life, is that there is a lens you have that is reminding you of the bigger story and the lens you have that is reminding you of the here and now. Right? It is the future and the present. It's that God is doing something now that is cosmic and we need to remember that and that God is doing something in the now and we need to remember that. Now, there are multiple places in the Bible that talk about the transformation of our bodies into, glorious, into a glorious body. And this idea is not about you going from a body that you didn't really like to a body that you like, or a body that you like into a body that you love. This is an idea of going from a body that is dead, that Jesus brings back to life. This is a body that is decayed, that Jesus, through the power of his resurrection, is able to bring back to life in a glorious way in which death and sickness can never touch it again. So all this is in the context. I want you to remember this. In verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul says, here's the ultimate cry and anthem of my life. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And in verse 21, he talks about true citizenship. In 2021, true citizenship. And this is what it means. And then 12 through 16, what Paul talks about is, hey, okay, I've laid this in front of you, but I'm not there yet. But I want to get there. And there are a few words Paul uses in verse 12 and 16. One of them is straining. And another I want you to look at just for a moment. There's straining and there's pressing on. And then there's this word for walk or hold on or life. This word straining is about stretching out like as far as you can go. This is that image you have, like when your spouse hides the golden Oreos from you and you see them and you don't want to go get a chair because you're like, I can just reach it. And you're like reaching, you know, trying to get it off the top shelf. Or you hide flaming Hot Cheetos from your 15-year-old son, but he sniffs them out. And he's, just, he's able to stretch as far as he can to get them, hypothetically speaking. Not that we would do this in the Ross house. This is the image of you being in the car, and I know this has happened to you when you're about to get out and you drop your key, or you're at a fast food restaurant at the window, and you drop the coin in between your seat and the console, and you have your fingers, and you're trying to stretch them, right? You've all done this before, having to try to get down in there. This is stretching. This is straining. And the image he gives you of reaching for deeper faith, for this kind of life, true citizenship is that we are straining. Twice you see the idea of pressing on which is an active word, right? Like there's some objective, there's something in front of you where we are pressing on to it. And then there's this word about, in some of your versions, it's just different. Some of it has walking. It's like walking a straight line. Some of your versions is holding fast. It's an image that came from the Roman army. How soldiers would march into war, they would march into battle as they're standing shoulder by shoulder as they are marching and no one's out further in front than the other or behind the other. They are together and they are walking. It's an image of what the church is like when we are pressing on. So when it comes to straining and pressing on and holding fast and walking like there are moments in my life when I give attention and passion to things in which after I do, I sit back and I'm like, why do I care about something so much that isn't eternal and it impacts my life? Like, why did the Grizzlies lose last night and I was ticked for like 30 minutes? Knowing I'm about to preach to a church about the promise of God giving us a glorious body. 
In 2006, before God converted me to become a Memphis Grizzly fan, I was a Dallas Maverick fan. They lost the finals. They got cheated out of it, but I'm not going to go into that today, all right? And in the third loss in the series, I broke a remote control in our living room. I was so mad. I broke it. Now, I didn't have kids at the time, which means it wasn't as bad, right? <laughs> I broke a remote. And it was one of two times in my life, Casey looked at me and she said, Josh, right now you need to go spend time with Jesus. <clears throat> and both times in my life, Casey has said, you need to go spend some time with Jesus. My response was, your mama needs to spend time with Jesus. Like, don't, don't come at me like that. Your mama does. Now, my mother-in-law is in the house today. She is here, all right? So when I have made this comment, I don't mean it literally like my mother-in-law Karen doesn't really know Christ or is in need of Jesus. It's just a figure of speech. It was just my response in the moment. But why do we care about some things in life so much? If somebody were to gauge our life based on what they see us straining for and pressing on towards and holding on to, is it eternal? And these are the images, the strong images Paul is using. And then he talks in verse 17 through 19 about here's what makes me cry. Like, here's what brings me to tears. And what brings me to tears is that there are people who are clinging to earthly things that bear no fruit. And then he talks about citizenship. He's talking about citizenship to people living in a city who were a proud Roman colony. And we're reading it as people living in a country in which many of us are proud Americans. And what Paul's letting people know is it's not that you deny the citizenship you have in a city or in a country. But for those of us who have been baptized into Christ for the church, there is a citizenship we have been given that will last forever. And this is what we hold in front of us. And the citizenship we have now, like there are certain documents about our citizenship that have to be renewed, like a driver's license and a passport and vehicle registration, right? Like things that have to be renewed. Your citizenship in heaven never has to be renewed. It's never a price you paid. It's something that was paid for us. So after painting this beautiful image of the transformation into a glorious body, Paul ends in chapter 4, verse 1, which is actually connected to what I've been preaching today. And it says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Like This is how you stand firm. In this way, being reminded that your citizenship is in heaven. It exists in heaven. It exists now. Something has started now. And because of this, keep clinging to the hope that in the power, in the resurrection of Jesus, he will transform our bodies, our lowly bodies, into a glorious body. There's a, a movie, and I want to set up a clip. And I remember showing this probably 12, 13 years ago in this church, and this text just had me thinking about this clip. It comes from a movie in 1984 called Places in the Heart. And I'm about to totally ruin everything about this movie. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, what I was going to do when I got home from church today is watch that movie from 1984 called Places in the Heart. I'm about to ruin it for you, all right? But if you've waited this long to watch it, it's probably not something on your bucket list. There's a woman named Edna. She's played by Sally Field. In 1984, this movie won multiple Academy Awards. It was Sally Field's second Academy Award. And she played a woman who was married to the sheriff of the town. And the sheriff of the town, this was based in 1935 during the Great Depression in Waxahachie, Texas. And her husband was the sheriff. And one day the sheriff had a call 
to go close to a railroad track where there was a young black teenage boy who was drunk, who had a gun, and in his drunkenness, he pulled the trigger, ended up shooting the sheriff. The sheriff dies. Sally Field's husband dies. And there were some other white men in town who decided to take the law into their own hands. So they went to the house of Wiley, the young black teenage boy, got him, ends up lynching him. So now you have multiple people in this small community who are mourning. And throughout the movie, you have Sally Field's brother-in-law who comes to try to help, and then brother-in-law's having an affair uh, with, with a school teacher. And then you have this other black man, Danny Glover, who comes and he ends up stealing something from Sally Field, and she ends up having mercy on him, and they strike up a friendship, and then he has to leave town because he's been threatened by KKK so much, he has to leave. So uh, even the way I'm painting this, you're like, I don't know if this is a movie I want to watch. Like, there's a lot of pain and brokenness in it. But the movie ends in the church. And let me set up the church scene I'm about to show you, because it's a scene of a church coming to communion, to bread and cup. Because you're going to see an image at the very beginning of the movie. And it's the church of a size. And you'll see a few dozen people who were there. But then you're going to see them take communion. And when they begin to take communion, there are a lot more people in the room. And what this screenwriter, what he wanted to depict is a messianic feast. So as communion begins in this video, you're going to be able to notice who the husband is who had cheated on the wife. And when it comes to Sally Field's character, you're going to see her sitting next to her husband who had already died. And you're going to see the husband sitting next to the young black teenage boy as they share the bread and the cup together. And you're going to hear people, some of them who had died throughout the movie, who now end up in the church taking the bread and the cup. And there's this image of bodies of humiliation and lowly bodies being returned to the glorious body because of what Jesus did in his body. So watch this clip, and then I'll take us to the table. This morning we take our text from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, 8. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and all knowledge and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love is patient, kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. Love never ends. On the night before his crucifixion, our Lord gathered with his disciples. He broke the bread and blessed it, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and said, Drink, this is my blood, which I shed for thee.
and stand together. <clears throat> I want to ask the shepherds, if you will, go to your places to receive people. Lenora Meyer this morning is going to be over to my right. Kim Chapman's going to be over to my left to receive people for prayer. I'll be down front if there's anything we can do for you. I'm going to pray a prayer, and then you're invited to go to the table this morning. We have six of them with the bread and the cup. And we're going to stay in a time of prayer for just a few minutes, and then we're going to have a song that we will sing together. So feel free to make your way to any of the prayer leaders in this room. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. For God, in this moment with the bread and the cup, we are reminded, God, that what you did for Jesus is what you will do for all of your people. That in and through Jesus, in and through what we celebrate in this meal, the bread and the cup, we are reminded that you will make all things right. And maybe just this day, through the bread and the cup, there is something in our lives that you will make right today. So God, in this meal, remind us that this is how we become citizens of the kingdom of God and responding and honoring and participating in this bread and this cup and all that Jesus has done for us. So we thank you for what you mean for us and for this world. And it's in and through the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Welcome to the table.